Chapter eighteen of Nobody's Man by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter eighteen. Talent sat in the morning train on his way to town, and on the other side of the bare ridge at which he gazed so earnestly, Lady Jane and Segerson had brought their horses to a standstill halfway along a rude cart track which led up to a farmhouse tucked away in the valley this is where james crockford's land commences segerson remarked riding up to his companion's side look around you i think you will admit that i have not exaggerated she frowned thoughtfully on every side were evidences of poor farming and neglect the untrimmed hedges had been broken down in many places by cattle a plough which seemed as though it had been embedded there for ages stood in the middle of a half-ploughed field several tracts of land which seemed prepared for winter sowing were covered with stones the farmhouse yard into which they presently passed was dirty and untidy sagerson leaned down and knocked on the door with his whip after a short delay a slatternly-looking woman with tousled fair hair answered the summons mr crockford in Sigerson asked. "'You'll find him in the living-room,' the woman answered curtly, with a stare at Lady Jane. "'Here's himself.' She retreated into the background. A man with flushed face, without collar or tie, clad in trousers and shirt only, had stepped out of the parlour. He stared at his visitors in embarrassment. "'I came over to have a word or two with you on business, Mr. Crockford.' jane said coldly i rather expected to find you on the land the man mumbled something and threw open the door of the sitting-room won't you come in he invited there's just mr pettigrew here the vet from barnstable he's come over to look at one of my cows mr pettigrew also flushed rose to his feet jane acknowledged his greeting and glanced around the room it was untidy dirty and close smelling strongly of tobacco and beer on the table was a bottle of whiskey half empty and two glasses there is really no reason why i should disturb you jane said turning back upon the threshold a letter from mr segerson will do crockford however had pulled himself together a premonition of his impending fate had already produced a certain sullenness pettigrew he directed you get out and have another look at the cow if you've any business word to say to me your ladyship i'm here jane looked once more around the squalid room watched the unsteady figure of pettigrew departing and looked back at her tenant your lease is up on march the twenty-fifth crockford she reminded him i have come to tell you that i shall not be prepared to renew it the man simply blinked at her his fuddled brain was not equal to grappling with such a catastrophe your farm is favorably situated she continued and although small has great possibilities i find you are dropping behind your neighbors and your crops are poorer each season have you saved any money crockford saved any money the man blustered shepherd's wages alone at two pounds a week and a week's rain starting in the day i began haymaking why my barley you started your haymaking ten days too late segerson interrupted sternly you had plenty of warning and as for your barley you sold it in the king's arms at barnstaple when you'd had too much to drink 
at thirty per cent below its value jane turned towards the door i need not stay any longer she said i wanted to look at your farm for myself mr crockford and i thought it only right that you should have early notice of my intention to ask you to vacate the place the cold truth was finding its way into the man's consciousness it had a wonderfully sobering effect look here ma'am he demanded is it true that you lent farmer holyroyd four hundred pounds to buy his own farm and the crocombe brothers two hundred each quite true jane replied coldly what of it what of it the man repeated you lend them youngsters money and then you come to me a man who's been on this land for twenty-two years and you've nothing to say but get out where am i to find another farm at my time of life just answer me that will you it is not my concern jane declared i only know that i decline to have any tenants on my property who do not do justice to the land when i see that they do justice to it then it is my wish that they should possess it it is true that i have lent money to some of the farmers round here but the greater part of what they have put down for the purchase of their holdings is savings money they had saved and earned by working early and late by careful farming and husbandry by putting money in the bank every quarter you have had the same opportunity you have preferred to waste your time and waste your money you've had more than one warning you know crockford ay more than a dozen segerson muttered the man looked at them both and there was a dull hate gathering in his eyes it's easy to talk about saving money and working hard you that have got everything you want in life and no work to do he protested it's enough to make a man turn socialist to listen to him mr crockford jane said i am a socialist and if you take the trouble to understand even the rudiments of socialism you will learn that the drones have as small a part in that scheme of life as in any other you have a right to what you produce it is one of the pleasures of my life to help the deserving to enjoy what they produce it is also one of the duties when i find a non-productive person filling a position to which his daily life and character do not entitle him to pull him up like a weed that is my idea of socialism mr crockford you will leave on march twenty-fifth they rode homeward into a gathering storm a mass of black clouds was rolling up from the north and an unexpected wind came bellowing down the combs bending the stunted oaks and dark pines and filling the air with sonorous but ominous music the hills around soon became invisible blotted out by fragments of the gathering mists the cold sleet stung their faces out on the moors was no sound but the tinkling of distant sheep bells there's snow coming sigerson muttered as he turned up his coat collar it won't do any harm she answered the earth lies warm under it the lights of paracom precipitous and unexpected were like flecks in the sky wiped out by a sudden driving storm of sleet a little while later they cantered up the avenue to woolhanger and jane slipped from her horse with a little sigh of relief you'd better stay and have some tea mr segerson she invited john will take your horse and give him a rub down she changed her habit and forgetting her guest indulged in the luxury of a hot bath 
she descended some time later to find him sitting in front of the tea-tray in the hall a more than usually gracious smile soon drove the frown from his forehead i really am frightfully sorry she apologized as she handed him his tea i had no idea i was so wet you'll have rather a bad ride home oh i'm used to it he answered i'm afraid they'll lose a good many sheep on the higher farms though if the storm turns out as bad as it threatens hear that a tornado of wind seemed to shake the ground beneath their feet jane shivered i suppose she reflected that man crockford thought i was very cruel to-day i will tell you crockford's point of view segerson replied he doesn't exactly understand what your aims are and wherever he goes he hears nothing but praise of the way you have treated your tenants and the way you have tried to turn them into small landowners he isn't intelligent enough to realize that there is a principle behind all this he has simply come to feel that he has a lenient landlord and that he has only to sit still and the plums will drop into his mouth too crockford is one of the weak spots in your system lady jane there is no place for him or his kind in a self-supporting world she sighed then i am afraid he must go down she said he simply stands in the way of better men one reads a good deal of mr tallente nowadays segerson remarked changing the conversation a little abruptly jane leaned over and struck the head of a dog which had come to lie at her feet he seems to be making a good deal of stir she observed the young man frowned you know i am not unsympathetic with your views lady jane he said a little awkwardly but i don't mind admitting that if i had a big stake in the country i should be afraid of talent no one seems to be able to pin him down to a definite programme and yet day by day his influence grows the labour party is disintegrated the best of all its factions are joining the democrats he is practically leader of the opposition party to-day and i don't see how they are going to stop his being prime minister whenever he chooses don't you think he'll make a good prime minister jane asked no i don't was the curt answer he is too dark a horse for my fancy i expect mr tallente will be ready with his programme when the time comes she observed he is a people's man of course and his proposals will sound pretty terrible to a good many of the old school still something of the sort has to come the butler brought in the post-bag while they talked segerson as he rose to depart glanced with curiosity at half a dozen orange-coloured wrappers which were among the rest of the letters fancy your subscribing to a press-cutting agency lady jane he exclaimed you haven't been writing a novel under a pseudonym have you she laughed as she gathered up her correspondence in her hand don't pry into my secrets she enjoined we may meet in barnstable to-morrow if the weather clears i want to go in and see those cattle for myself the young man took his reluctant departure jane crossed the hall entered her own little sanctum threw the lamp to the edge of the table and sank into her easy-chair with a little sigh of relief all the rest of her correspondence she threw to one side the orange-coloured wrappers she tore off one by one as she read her face softened and her eyes grew very bright the first cutting was a report of talent's last speech in the house 
a clever and forceful attack upon the government's policy of compromise in the matter of recent strikes the next was a speech at the holborn town hall on workmen's dwellings another a thoughtful appreciation of him from the pages of the great review there was also a eulogy from an american journal and a gloomy attack upon him in the chief whig organ when she had finished the pile she sat for some time gazing at the burning logs the little epitome of his daily life there were records there even of many of his social engagements seemed to carry her into another atmosphere an atmosphere far removed from this lonely spot upon the moors she seemed to catch from those printed lines some faint reflective thrill of the more vital world of strife in which he was living for a moment the roar of london was in her ears she saw the lighted thoroughfares the crowded pavements the faces of the men and women all a little strained and eager so different from the placid immobility of the world in which she lived she rose to her feet and moved restlessly about the room presently she lifted the curtain and looked out there was a pause in the storm and a great mass of black clouds had just been driven past the face of the watery moon even the wind seemed to be holding its breath but so far as she could see moors and hillsides were wrapped in one unending mantle of snow there was no visible sign of any human habitation no sound from any of the birds or animals who were cowering in their shelters not even a sheep bell or the barking of a dog to break the profound silence she dropped the curtain and turned back to her chair her feet were leaden and her heart was heavy the struggle of the day was at an end memory was asserting itself she felt the flush in her cheek the quickening beat of her heart the thrill of her pulses as she lived again through those few wild minutes there was no longer any escape from the wild confusing truth the thing which she had dreaded had come End of chapter eighteen